takes. To win Ronnie's. This one. And just like that, FHP is back on top and back in the green. Ian, Willie's out. Willie Z, he finally did it. How are we feeling? Yeah, this one, this one hits a little bit different for us. I think, uh, you know, we've been there for Willie Z. There are a lot of heartbreak, uh, <clears throat> even just this last 12 months uh, on this podcast, betting him, <clears throat> you know, more than our fair share of times. And, uh, you know, the playoff loss at Torrey Pines hurt, playoff loss at uh, Southern Hills hurt, and then obviously – you know, we hit the winner uh, with Fitzy there at um, at Brookline, but obviously, you know, you hate to see Willie miss the putt in the last uh, that could have forced the playoff. So, uh, man, he earned it. Um, just fitting that we we entered this podcast in with two putts. You know, when you when you think of Willie Z, you know, the story of his career up till now. I mean, obviously, he's a 26 year old kid now as of today. Happy birthday, Willie! Um, but you know, only a couple years now on tour. You know, the story of his entire career has basically been not been able to hit the putt, the clutch putt when he eats one uh, to win these big tournaments and uh, to do what he did down the, down the stretch of the final, you know, the final, what, three, four holes there, uh, hole in three or four really clutch putts uh, down the stretch was, uh, was really crazy. I mean, he, uh, I, I feel like we, yeah, we really witnessed a kid kind of come into his own and um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a special watch for sure. Yeah. I, like, like you said, I mean, it's, for someone who, you know, a lot of times our events are going on at the same time. So sometimes it's hard for us to pay attention to both events, especially when we got two guys in the mix and both like. Um, right. But, you know, so I started out watching the NASCAR. I think I watched the first stage or maybe stage and a half of NASCAR. And then when things started, really started to ramp up, I was like, man, I got it. I can't like not watch this. So I had to flip over to, to the golf channel. Of course, I flip over like when, you know, Willie's just like spraying it off the tee and. Is hitting from way out in the wood, way out in the brush, and I'm like, oh no. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, you heard that, you heard the roar there. Like, what are they gonna say about me now? Like, the putting, the most probably three clutch putts of his life, and he made them all in a row uh, yeah. in order to win his first event. Like, that's that's what it took to yeah. win his first event. And hey, he proved the doubters wrong. He's a he's a PGA Tour champion. He now sits what number one in the FedEx Cup standings. So, yeah, exactly. what a way to do it. No, for sure. I mean, it, it, I think it's really fitting. Um, I think it's it's it says a lot about Zalatoris's mentality because, um, you know, to your to your point, you know, with him hitting out of the trees and him needing to to hold those clutch putts. I mean, if you watch mo- most of Sunday's round, like outside of the first three holes, it was very little like flawless golf from Will Zalatoris. You know, with like when when Hoblin has won, when Colin Morikawa has won, when all these other young kids have won. I mean, obviously there have been bumps down the road, but you know, they've been pretty flawless from TD Green. You know, there hasn't been a ton of stress um, on these guys. And I feel like for Will to win with kind of, obviously, I mean, his iron play was incredible all week, but less than stellar, especially off the tee, um, kind of finding himself in the positions that he found himself all Sunday long and just being able to kind of navigate around a golf course and maintain his composure because he held the lead for, like I said, 15 of the 18 holes on Sunday. So, um, you know, he was the hunted for most of that round. After Cam Smith got the two-stroke penalty, he – you know, I'm sure everyone was looking. He was the guy to um, to find on the leaderboard. He was the hunted, um, especially after you went birdie, birdie, birdie on one, two, three. So 
<clears throat> for him to maintain his composure, I mean, he filmed so, again, he found himself in a lot of tough spots off the tee that he kind of put himself in. But um, yeah, you know, you, that's what winners do. You, you kind of, you find a way without your best and um, it's got to really scare the guys on the PJ tour. Cause if this guy can, um, you know, get some confidence with a putter when the TD green comes, uh, when the, when the driving and TD green game overall inevitably comes back, I mean, he's going to be winning events by three, four, five shots. So, um, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be crazy to see, like you alluded to first in the FedEx cup standings now. So him and Scheffler have kind of, um, it's funny cause we, I kind of alluded to last week that like Scheffler was pretty much a shoe in for the top spot. Um, with the exception of if he, you know, um, misses a couple cuts and then one of the, t- one of the guys chased him wins a golf tournament. And that's exactly what happened. Um, in week one. So now Will Zalatoris only 124 points above Scheffler, but from Scheffler to Cam Smith and third, who was, um, who was a draw this week, but we'll get to that later. Um, so the, the distance between one and two was only 124. The, the distance between two and three is over a thousand points. So once again, you kind of have that um, that kind of separation there at the top between one and two, and then we'll see um, if any of the chase pack can kind of state their claim as uh, as the top seed of the East Lake. Because as we saw last week, it can change in a in a real hurry. Yeah, it's it's crazy to even just go back and look at this leaderboard because Willie Z started out as round one with a 71. He's the yeah. only guy of the other than Adam Scott, of all the top five guys who even had a 70 in their round at all, uh, in, in their sorry, in their full tournament at all. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, Willie really could have ran away with this if he would have started out a little better in the first round. But and that was, uh, easy, you know, I mean, Siwoo Kim and um, JJ Spawn were out there firing 62s, and Willie starts with a 71. Like it's a long way back, but um, you know, I think uh, I think Lincoln distance kind of got hard and fast and, and more difficult. It became, became became a bit more difficult to score around that golf course as we kind of alluded to um <clears throat> last week making our arguments for Will Zalatoris that's kind of where he shines when uh when the golf course does kind of get away from these guys and you know par becomes a better score and uh you know your ball striking really takes over so yeah to your point 71 on the first day he, he mentioned I think he, he got plugged like three times in the bunkers he couldn't make a putt on the on the uh, on the first day and to kind of come through all that and win one of the biggest tournaments of the year. I mean, I know it's, it doesn't, doesn't have the prestige of like a, a Bay Hill or a Players Championship or um, maybe even like a Torrey Pines or something like that or Mirfield. But, you know, in terms of like pure field strength, it's, I mean, the top 125 players in the Fenners Cup. So, uh, yeah, that's a that's a big time win. And it was uh, it was good that not only we were on it, but a lot of guys in the community were on it. And uh, it was a, it was a fun place on golf Twitter on Sunday night for sure. So before we move on to talk about another golfer or two here what is your overarching thoughts on kind of what transpired there in that playoff so you know we, we first have um Seth Straka you know missing the water uh <laughs> merrily on the first 18 drive like what clears it by like what a few feet Something um, like that. and has the better angle um and then what the very next the very next time around the 18th um Step gets even closer to the water, but Willie's in the in the brush. Yeah. And then and then the you know, then the third time around, we you know, we play the seventeenth and they practically almost both go in the water. Um Sep but, did. <laughs> well yeah, Sep did, yeah, Sep, Sep did. did. Yeah. And then and then uh you know, Willie was for anybody who didn't see it, his ball bounced around on this like jagged rock right next to the water and then landed like a little divot where like the grass was like what two three inches like higher than the ball oh, yeah and the ball was- and, and willie was going to try to attempt it until he realized that set had completely just like blown his day away and 
you know, from the from the drops from the drop point, hit it right into the bunker, and was now what putting for like five. So uh, to me, it was an easy call. I mean, you were screaming in our group chat like, "Will, do not try to play this. Do not try to play hero ball. Just just go go to the drop zone, hit it within ten feet, and you're good to go." Um, but I guess I guess what are your thoughts overall on on kind of how that whole playoff transpired? Because that was wild. That was insane. Yeah, that was that was years of my life. I mean, we talked about, I mean, kind of the great sweats of 2022. Like Cam Smith of the players was pretty tough. It was pretty brutal because he took the three shot lead on 17, and then, you know, is scrambling for bogey on the 18th when Lahiri makes birdie on behind him on 17, and all of a sudden that becomes from a three shot lead to like, you know, you're sweating Lahiri, Lahiri birdie and you're in the playoff. Um, you know, I'm trying to think. You know, Fitzpatrick down the stretch against Scheffler and Dal Torres was pretty rough, but yeah, I mean, there was, there's never been a an outright I've won where I've been less convinced I was going to win like multiple times, like leading up to the conclusion of that event. I mean, yeah, I mean, it was advantage Straka for like 95% of the playoff. I mean, the first hole, like you said, he, you know, he takes on the water. He carries it by like a yard or two, uh, position a, he hits it to 20 feet. Willie's like 50 feet away down the hill, tough lag putt to Willie's credit gets down in two Straka misses. And then, we go to the next, and <laughs> Zalatoris hits the cart path on on uh, on 18 right of uh, right of the fairway there, in the trees. Straka again seems to get a lucky break with the ball bouncing off the side of the hill and staying up, staying bouncing off the side slope, facing the water, and somehow manages to stay up um, above. Now I didn't realize how bad Straka's lie was because once he started taking his shoes off, I was like, okay, this might actually be kind of doable because I don't think he's going to be hitting the green or probably not going for the green from this point if he's, you know, got two feet in the water. Um, so that made it a little bit easier. But yeah, those first like 30 seconds after Will hit his tee shot into the trees and then Straka's like barely staying up on the water. You're just like, oh, it's not like it's just one of those things. It's not meant to be. And then obviously the um, when Willie saves par with a 13 footer down the hill, the same putty had regulation pretty much uh, for the second playoff hole. We go to the par three Allen green. And then again, like <laughs> Willie goes first. He blows it like he's got a, I mean your rules out of Taurus you got a wedge in your hand and I'm, I'm sitting here thinking all right let's stick this to like five feet and let's get out of here and then he he takes one hand off a club it's going right you you're like oh god it's either water or it's like you know a, a tough up and down and to your point you know I don't know if Straka knew how bad it was I don't know if Will knew how bad it was but you know you could pretty much clearly see like when the camera panned to his ball at rest like oh this like this is not good he's not making par from here I can promise you that um, and then Straka, you know, he takes one, one more club, hits nine iron and does the exact same thing. I like, I mean, I don't, I really, I mean, I'm sure you know, nerves and, and, and all that kind of came into play and, but man, a PJ tour pro with a nine iron in his hand from a buck 50, like you're expecting that to be center of the green. Like Straka has got to know, like par is going to be a pretty good score here. And for him to miss that, right. That was a real let off. So, um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it was crazy, man. I mean, like I said, I, I really, I was really, uh, you know, we're team no hedge <laughs> on flag hunting here. But yeah, there were definitely multiple times in that playoff where I was like, holy shit, I'm going to, I'm going to rue the day that, you know, Seb Straka ruins two of our tickets in one year um, with Lowry in the in the springtime and now Willie. So yeah, I don't know, man. I, I, it was it was a fucking wild ride. I, I don't know what to tell you, but um, yeah. Well, I, guess, got I guess what I was yeah. mainly kind of asking is. Yeah. And I hate to take the window of the sales here because I know we're excited and we're, we're happy for Willie, but it almost feels like Sep blew it more than Willie took it. Yeah. Um, I guess for me, like, I, I guess you, you just mentioned something I guess I didn't realize, but 
to me, no matter how bad that lie is on 18 for SEP, like, no matter how you hit that ball, if regardless if you hit the green, you're going to be probably 50, 75 yards closer than Willie is. Right. Um, and then instead you take the penalty relief, and now you're, 60 what, yards 50, yeah, 50, 60 yards behind him. Yeah. On the same stroke. And then, like you said, on the 17th, I, I just don't understand whether Willie's ball is in the water or not, or yeah. in bad, bad relief or not. Why not just... Just put it anywhere on the greens, and you win that tournament. Like, I I, I hate to say it because I mean we we love Willie, but like, Sep, you lost that tournament. Like you blew it. Oh yeah, no, that's that's without debate. Um, I think the the decision on 18 to take the penalty shots is a bit more forgivable for me, just because with water left on a side slope up, ball's gonna be above your feet. That ball's gonna want to shoot left on you. So I think Sep just didn't really want to take the risk. Uh, because if you blow it in the water off two, then all of a sudden you're dropping three, hitting four from the fairway, and now you're completely cooked. So I think Step figured, okay, I don't like. Obviously, I could probably, you know, I could get this close to the green if everything goes right. But obviously, I lo- it's kind of similar to how Willie was thinking on the 11th, where, you know, I could try this, but I probably lose the tournament if it doesn't go well. Step was like, I'll just take my nine iron. Will will have his wedge, and we'll try to get up and down each. And they both did get up and down for par. Um, so that's a little bit more forgivable. I, you know. Obviously, it was kind of jarring because you saw the ball stay up, and like as soon as you see a dry, like dry golf ball, um, and you could, you know, you could see the ball. It was a fine lie, at least from what the camera initially panned to us. Um, it seemed like, yeah, these guys are going to be able to manufacture some kind of shot. But looking back in retrospect, I do kind of agree with this decision on 18. Yeah, the decision on 11 was that was the one that lost in the golf tournament. I mean, like I said, nine iron from buck 50 um, with miles left. I mean, you, there's no reason to go with that pin. And like I said, man, like. These guys are under immense pressures. I mean, that's the biggest moment of Sepp's life as well. You know, we're not, I mean, he's obviously won in the PGA Tour earlier this year, but, you know, athletics to a playoff event, that's something hugely different. I mean, that puts you in, if Sepp wins that tournament, if Sepp does make par in that hole um, on 11, then he's, I think, probably either one or two in the FedEx Cup standings, which puts him in line to be, you know, going off one of the final groups at East Lake and, you know, playing for seven, eight figures, you know, so, uh, uh, yeah, I'm sure there was plenty going through his high head, and you know, I'm sure he would love to have that swing back. But um, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, <laughs> that's kind of the that's that's kind of the winning journey you have to take on the PJ Tour. I mean, sometimes like if if you kind of get there enough times, you're just gonna kind of things are gonna break your way. I mean, we can say the same thing about Finau at the 3M. Uh, what two or three weeks ago, his first of two wins back to back at, at uh, Min- Minnesota and Detroit, where you know Finau was, I mean he was in the mix for sure, but Pierce was in control of that tournament until hole about 14, uh, where he blew two balls in the water, made triple, and then Finau was able to make a couple of birdies coming in to take that tournament down. Um, I mean I'm just, I'm not saying that Pierce he deserved to win or anything like that, like Finau was the better player over the course of 72 holes, but you know sometimes you just stick around the lead and things break your way, and I think that's what happened uh, with Willie certainly. Got some lucky breaks that day. I mean, I don't know if you're tuning on the par 5 16th uh, in regulation where he hit his ball off a tree back in the fairway, was able to make birdie in that hole. So, yeah, I mean, certainly, um, yeah, we got some breaks, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll certainly take them when we can get them, uh, both Will and uh, us on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. All right, one more one more talk, talking point here before we move on to this week's tournament. But Colin Morikawa, T5, are you feeling – better about i mean a few weeks ago we were almost swearing him off for the rest of the year until we saw some form but hey 60 67 69 66 67 to finish you know minus three for the tournament so uh or sorry minus 11 for the tournament minus 
three on the last round there. Um, yeah. Are you feeling better? I mean, how does how does that everything look on the back the back end here? Oh yeah, vibes are great. And in, in more Cal camp, I mean it. Yeah, I mean I would have loved him to win the golf tournament. Obviously, he was the sentimental favorite. We had him on the betting card. Um, you know, really. <laughs> I mean, as someone who tracked a lot of his his shots, like minus eleven was a really. I don't know. He left. I, I guess I'm going to try to say he left a lot of shots out there for for finishing T5. Uh, just off the top of my head, I know for a fact he missed two putts, two birdie putts inside five feet on the la- on the back nine on Sunday. Um, had a really, really bad iron shot. I believe it was on Thursday or Friday. It was one of the first two rounds on the fourth hole where he left a, you know, he had like an eight iron, like 20 yards short into the water, which like doesn't happen to PJ Torbros, let alone call Morikawa. And then just tracking my, I can count at least another two or three, like three, four footers that he missed. So those strokes, you know, in retrospect, add up pretty quickly. And, you know, I think, you know, Colin's going to be, all things considered, pretty disappointed with the T5, considering how he played, how he struck the golf ball. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was, he was dialed in, particularly on the weekend, uh, gained over four strokes uh, on approach with his irons over those final two rounds. And um, yeah, the cut seems to be coming back. I saw a report from the grounds this week that, that said Collins feeling about as good about his ball striking as he's felt in a long time. He, the cut's back. Um, he's actually back to the conventional golf or conventional putting grip that uh, he kind of started here on tour, which maybe is a good sign uh, that he's getting away from kind of the, the I don't know, I don't know gimmick is the right word, but the claw grip that he used to use or the saw grip that he used to use. I mean, heck, he won, you know, a WGC and a major using it. So, um, you know, it can't be, can't rely on it too much. But yeah, it seems like he's kind of going back to basics. It seems like he's kind of got his swagger back a little bit, which is, all he wanted to see. Um, so yeah, I, I like Colin. I mean, I like Colin a lot going forward. I think this is a big week for him. Um, kind of having that month off after a really disappointing summer stretch so far. And, you know, uh, as a Colin more fan, hopefully he can build on that. And I think, you know, this week will be a pretty telling week for his chances at East Lake. So he's going to have to have a good week to even have a chance next week at the tour championship. I think he's like 20th in the standings right now. So, um, but yeah, certainly good signs and certainly the arrows trending, uh, trending up, which is, which is awesome to see. Absolutely. All right. So with that being said, we are uh, off to the BMW Championship, the second round of this FedEx playoff here. Uh, and as you mentioned last week, we're off to a course we've never seen before in the tour, right? So yeah. what do we have in store for a probably very difficult breakdown this week? Uh, yeah. In terms of like course history and like statistical analysis and, uh, you know, large sample size of, you know, player profiles look for, it's not the easiest handicapping process, but uh, we are in Wilmington, in Wilmington Country Club in Wilmington, Delaware for the 2022 PGA Championship. Uh, just going on specs first and foremost, 7,543 yard par 71, bentgrass fairways, bentgrass greens, uh, about four inch thick bluegrass slash fescue rough. Very, very common uh, type of agronomy here in the Northeast. It will play as the eighth longest course on the PGA Tour over, his la- over the last three years and features the second largest set of green complexes, 8,100 square feet on average, uh, second only to Kapalua, I believe on the PGA Tour, is a Robert Trent Jones design. Uh, no other PGA Tour events uh, are held at any of his venues anymore, but we've had, we have had uh, Baltus Raw and Bell Reef hold the PGA Championship in 2016 and 2018. Uh, Firestone CC held the Bridgestone Invitational up until 2018, and Robert Trent Jones Golf Club held the 2015 Quicken Loans National, uh, won, I believe, by Troy Merritt. Um, other kind of his other famous works include Congressional, which uh, hosted the 2011 U.S. Open, won by Rory McIlroy. His his first major, uh, Spyglass Hill, which is currently I guess one third of the uh, Pebble Beach rotation at the AT&T Pro Am 
so I guess that's the only real um, consistent RTJ design we see year in, year out. But it's only, again, one round out of four at uh, AT&T. Uh, and then Hazeltine National, which is the host of the 2016 Ryder Cup, um, which before last year was the last time the USA lifted the Ryder Cup. Um, now, I'm not going to pretend to be like any kind of architecture buff. I'm going to give a shout out again, our weekly shout out to Andy Lack, who uh, who does the Inside Golf podcast. I mean, if you guys are listening to this podcast, if you are uh, involved at all on golf Twitter, you know who Andy, Lack, who Andy Lack is. But he does a really good job. Um, I think this is the couple of weeks where, you know, you got to look for um, – where I guess his type of analysis is even more important because he does give a bit of a background of you know your typical RTJ strategy and you know just different markers to look for on his kind of his kind of courses. So uh, yeah, just I can't plug his podcast enough. And I think it, again in this term, in, in terms of this week or a week like this where we haven't seen this golf course much, um, he's going to really help you break down that a lot more than um, than I can. But uh, from what I've gathered, I've done my research, gathering off podcasts and player interviews. Uh, there doesn't seem to much, be much nuance in terms of like strategy off the tee, at least. Um, I'll kind of give you a <laughs> a quote I thought was pretty funny from Patrick Cantley. It's a pretty long quote, but I listened to some of the press conferences this, this afternoon, and uh, he kind of grilled this place a little bit, which Andy liked it as well. So it's kind of interesting to, to kind of hear both of those guys um, have similar opinions. But yeah, Cantley said, uh, yeah, I don't think there's much strategy to this golf course. It's pretty right in front of you. Um, the venues between this year and last year are pretty similar in terms of style of golf, talking about Caves Valley, where he won last year. Um, and he also had it when he was asked uh, if this course was all comparable to a U.S. Open setup, given 7,500 yards, pretty thick rough, some tree line in there, northeastern golf course. Um, yeah, that was that was pretty funny to me how a porter asked if, if uh, Wilmington Country Club was comparable to like a U.S. Open setup. Um, but yeah, Cantley said no, it does not compare to U.S. Open setup. Uh, it's very long, uh, but there's no real shaping of golf shots. It's really just grab your driver on every hole and hit it as high and far as you possibly can. If you can hit the ball 315 yards, you can carry all the bunkers in trouble, and you may be in the rough, but it's better here in the rough with a 9 or an 8 iron than may than it may be with a 5 iron if you, were lay, if you were to lay up in the fat part of the fairway in front of the bunkers. I'm so surprised they haven't figured it out. It's it's like It feels like we're getting more and more of the same bomb and gouge golf courses. Uh, bomb it as far as you can week after week. Um, so <laughs> pretty scathing review, uh, of Wilmington country club. I mean, it's nothing new. I mean, you, you talk about most of the TPC courses. I mean, it's nothing new. The players don't exactly aren't exactly in love with, um, with a lot of the setups that we get week in, week out in the PGA tour. And Cantley himself is a pretty noted kind of architecture, uh, geek, if you will. Like I, I, I found myself like really kind of looking for his press conferences, um, if they're available every single week. Cause I think he does do a pretty good job of, or he's pretty insightful typically and pretty, um, thoughtful and of thoughts is about you know his thoughts on the golf course and what uh, particular strategies work well there so Cantley's a guy that I I certainly look for and I would encourage you guys to to seek out the interview and, and maybe um listen to it for yourself if you're interested in this kind of stuff but just in terms of I guess statistical leans and my handicap process this week um in terms of off the tee I far prefer distance uh, off the tee compared to accuracy like Cantley said uh, I don't think the rub is going to be near as penal this week as it was last week and there's not really that much water in play um off the tee at least here. So it's again, pretty much a bomb and gouge type of golf course. Um, you know, there are fairway bunkers that uh, RTJ is pretty known for, but you know, if you have sufficient distance off the tee, you can pretty much take those out of play and, uh, and play from the rough of the short club in your hands most of the week. Um, also, I think short to middle iron play will be more important than you would think, given the yardage on the scorecard. Uh, again, with players incentivized to bomb and gouge this place off the tee, and with only one of the three par fives being real, realistically reachable in two, um, the other two, 
two of the three par four, par fives here measure 634 and 649. So I think we're going to have more of a Southern Hills type of um, scenario there with the par fives where they're so long that even the longest players of the tee don't want to take the risk of I, I know for I know for sure one of the par fives here has like a huge lake in front of it. So you're asking these guys to have at least a 290, 300 yard shot in with water short. Most guys are just going to take the option of, you know, laying it up with a five iron and then having wedge into the green. Um, and I would assume with the other pole being 650 yards almost, it's going to be pretty similar. So, um, yeah, I just don't see the emphasis, the same emphasis being placed on long irons that we see at kind of other longer golf courses like a Torrey Pines. Uh, just when you break down the scorecards, I think it's a lot more short and middle irons uh, than you would typically see or than you would that you would think of seeing. Um, in terms of short game, Again, Robert Trent Jones tends to lean heavily on uh, bunkers on his golf courses, so add sand saves into the uh, into the model or the process. And with again 8,100 square foot greens on average, uh, three putt avoidance and lag putting on fast bent grass greens becomes to me more paramount than just general around the green player scrambling. So um, again, my leans or my uh, stats this week, my key stats this week: driving distance, strokes gained off the tee, total driving, uh, strokes gained approach, obviously opportunities gained. Emphasis on short to middle iron play inside maybe 175 yards, and then three putt avoidance, sand saves, and then proficiency, strokes gain putting, lag putting on fast bent grass greens. Uh, in terms of kind of the difficulty of this course, because obviously you've never been to, we've never been here before, we don't know what the winning score is going to be. Uh, but when you look at the BMW Championship, it's past champions. Obviously, last year, Patrick Cantley beat Bryson DeChambeau in a playoff at 27 under. Um, now, 2020, John Rahm did beat Justin Dodge. Sorry, did beat Dustin Johnson in a playoff at four under par at Olympia Fields. Um, so that was obviously a really, really hard test. One of the harder non-major championship tests we've seen in the PJ Tour in quite some time in 2020 at the BMW. Uh, but in 2019, uh, Justin Thomas beat Patrick Cantley. I believe that was at Medina um, at 25 under. Keegan Bradley won in Aronimic at 20 at 20 under over Justin Rose in the playoff. 2017, Leishman won at 23 under. 2016, Dustin Johnson won at 23 under, and then 2015, Jason Day won at 22 under. So, as you can see, six of the last seven BMW winners have had to go deeper than 20 under to win. Um, and the over-under currently set by bookmakers on the 72 winning score is currently set at 262.5 or 21.5 under par. Uh, so, I just think more things are pointing to um, this just being right there or right back in the profile of your typical BMW championship where you're going to have to do a lot of scoring. Um and I'm much more intrigued by birdie makers and guys proven um, in easier score conditions this week versus the skill set it took at the uh, 2020 iteration at Olympia Fields. Uh, so, yeah, that wraps up everything I got to say. And uh, we can get the odds board if Chris or if Chris doesn't have any questions. Yeah, no, I think we're ready to just jump straight to the odds board here. So, obviously, yeah, another star studded field here. Um, and we won't be going too far down the board um, as a lot of our bets are going to be up here towards the top. Yeah. Um, and being that this is the second round of the playoffs, you know, we expect the winner to come from, you know, probably what, 50 to one and under, maybe even less shorter than that. Yeah. That might um, winners. So, yeah, we'll start from the top here. We'll just start with the top two first. So Rory McIlroy, John Rahm, 11 to one, 12 to one. Uh, Rory, a little bit of a rough showing last week, but John Rahm, a T5. Um, yep. So do does Rory's price shock you or does the fact that since he's, I think he's, the leading what td green on the year or something like that or yeah he's exactly yeah, yeah he's been the best player all year long so i guess it's really not that much of a shock for one week but what are your thoughts on these two at the very top um yeah i, I would say at these prices like i i still don't think rom is a point behind rory in terms of like 
total skill set, um, especially at a course like this where you're going to have to make a ton of birdies. I still like Rama better when the, when the scoring distance are going to get a bit tougher. Uh, not saying he can't win. I mean, we saw him kind of down the stretch with Bryson and Cantley. If there was a, like a third, um, you know, a, you know, a third player or a third guy in the mix last week on the weekend or last year on the weekend at Kays Valley, um, Rom was in the final group with them on Saturday and kind of wilted away as the weekend went along. But, um, yeah, I think his, his skill set's just a bit better suited for, um, again, a, a school or a golf course that emphasizes par and bogey avoidance a bit better than than what I predict this week to be. Um, and then you add in the fact that, again, this course is a heavy driver course, which does play into Rom's hands, but then you throw in the fact that it's going to be a lot more wedges and short irons. I would prefer Rom at a place where, um, obviously, you have to hit a lot of long irons off the tee, where it's even, even, for, even more uh, lengthened out than even this course is. Um, Roy for me, yeah, I think Roy should be in, in consideration for y'all at, at 11 to one. Um, I'm willing to, I'm willing to buy at, at that price. I didn't, I didn't actually pull the trigger, but I, I, I think that's actually a pretty fair number. When you look at the kind of the course comps or the RTJ, um, corollaries that I laid out earlier, you know, he's won at Firestone. Um, he's won at Krugressional, uh, at the U S open, obviously. So, um, he's won at two very, very similar golf course in the Northeast RTJ design. So I think Roy, this is a place that he could actually uh, really take advantage of. Um, so I'm much more bullish on him this week than I was last week at Southwind. Um, I think that Roy is actually a pretty good bet this week, but um, for me again, uh, I'd, I'd rather go a little bit farther down the board and have a couple names uh, because there are a lot of guys that I, um, I do like around this place. And so, yeah, Roy was a tough cut for me, but um yeah, I might have to find other ways to be exposed because uh, I think he will have a really good week. I think he'll bounce back pretty uh, pretty well. So before we get too far on the odds board here, yeah. how um, I know we talked about it a little bit last week, but uh, where where was Will? Oh, actually, I think I found it. So he was 12th before he won, and he jumped to one. So a guy like Rory sitting in nine right now, how far could he actually jump? I mean, I'm assuming with a win, he would then go to first. I mean, how does that, how does this all shake out, I guess? Yeah, so I was actually wrong about last week. I, I thought the winners of the FedEx Cup playoff events only got 1,000 points because I'm if I'm not mistaken, and I, this would be embarrassing if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure for a regular tour event, you get 500 FedEx Cup points for a win. So I assumed it would just be double. But Zalator's got 2,000 points last week for, <laughs> for winning that 12 tournament. So if you look just down the board, anyone from 1 to 15, um, can theoretically jump to the top. Now it would take help from Zalatoris and Scheffler, but um, yeah, if you if you're even in like the mid-teen pack, like let's take Colin Morcow for example, he's number 20 right now. He's 2,200 points back. Uh, at first, if he were to win this week, he would I think be no worse than like fourth or third. Um, excuse me, in the FedEx Cup standing. So yeah, again, there's a ton of potential to jump up. I mean, these these events are weighted super heavily in terms of the the year-long race to the uh, to the FedEx Cup. So um, yeah, uh, it's there's a lot to play for in terms of you know getting that um, that seating for Eastlake because that's obviously going to be super super crucial as we jump into the stagger start uh, format next week. Yeah, and because I was just looking, because Seth went from 36 <laughs> to eight. I mean that's yeah. yeah so I guess there's a lot of jumping to still be done. I guess. Oh yeah, yeah. No, this is by no means over. I mean, Zalatoris and Scheffler are gonna be up there pretty much no matter what. Now I don't. They're not guaranteed to be the number one or number two seeds, but like. They pretty like at 3,500, 3,600 points where third place is at 2,500. Like, um, they're pretty much guaranteed, I would say, at worst to be like fourth, third, and fourth, um, in the standings. So they will be there. 
Uh, but certainly if you're like a guy like, you know, from Cam's, I mean, Cam's going to stop playing this week and they're at number three, but Burns all the way down to like Homa, Spieth, Hovland, and even Morikawa, like, yeah, I mean, you, 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 you know that you're still right there in the mix if you can put together a good week this week. Actually, I just found the breakdown. So first yeah. is 2,000, you're right, for the first two events. Second is 1,200. And then it's a pretty steep drop off from there. And it goes third is 760, fourth is 540, fifth is 440, sixth is 400. So basically yeah. those top two spots are the the big money getters as far as the standards. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like when I say top finish, I mean like you need to like win or come second uh, in the golf tournament. So, and it's, it's going to be crucial, like I said, because I know the last two years, the top seed has won at Eastlake, uh, Dustin Johnson, Patrick Hanley. And then uh, in 2019, the first year they did it, I think, I know Rory wasn't the top seed. Rory won in 2019 at Eastlake. I think he was like fourth or fifth, if I recall correctly. I think JT was the top seed and kind of um, and kind of faltered uh, in the first couple of days and took himself out of the mix. But um, yeah, I mean, the staggered start is huge. I mean, it, basically, if you guys don't know, and we'll talk about more in depth next week, but um, yeah, the number one seed next week starts at 10 under par at Eastlake where they play four rounds, 72 holes. The number two seed starts at eight under, then seven under, six under, and I think there starts being ranges of like five players after that, starting at like 400 and 300 and 200. The basic gist is if you're not like in the top five, your your chances are pretty, pretty slim. Like unless you put together a super magical week uh, next week. So, um, yeah. So if even if we don't have a dog in the fights, um, you know, you you. You might want to tune in on Sunday just because you're going to the guys that are there on Sunday uh, this week are likely going to be there on Sunday next week. So hopefully uh, we get some entertaining names down the stretch here and uh, some really, really cool battles. Because we, we've had I mean, people obviously dismiss the stagger start as like a really gimmicky concept, which I don't disagree with. But it has provided some really, really uh, fun matchups the last three years. And we had Roy versus Brooks in 2019, which is a super cool matchup that Roy won. Um, we had DJ. Well, DJ was just in the midst of like the form of his life and he just kind of strolled away a little bit with uh 2020s or yeah 2020s iteration and obviously last year we had ron versus cantley for like three straight days which is really cool so um yeah for me personally i mean i'm i'm very very look, i'm very much looking forward to like a potential zalator scheffler duel that would be a lot of fun um but i would not complain one bit if a guy like you know rory or some of the guys we're going to talk about here in a couple minutes um you know jump those standings up and and provide a little bit of resistance uh next week in atlanta all right, so let's move away to the next range here. So we're looking at the guys at 14 to 1 now on uh, the books that we're looking at. So we got Justin Thomas, Scotty Scheffler, and Willie Z, the champ from last week. So we have a bet in this range. It's not Willie Z. It's not <laughs> Scotty Scheffler. It is no. Justin Thomas. What you got on JT this week? Take it away. Uh, yeah, so we got JT at 16 to 1 the morning of uh, Monday morning, pretty much right when odds came out because um, I kind of hated it because Cam Smith withdrew like. Monday morning before odds even dropped. So we kind of got our hands forced a little bit because we knew that uh, numbers were going to change pretty heavily with the third favorite uh, dropping out of the event so early, um, which is less than ideal, but I'm still happy with the numbers that we got. Uh, you know, I would have preferred a cam with a withdrawal on Tuesday. That way I could have gotten, you know, maybe some more things together and, and all that, but I'm still happy. JT 16 to one. He loves himself again, a Northeastern birdie party, uh, RTJ golf course. He won a Firestone in 2018, came fourth at the quick loans national in 2015, held a RTJ GC, um, sixth at the PGA championship in 2018 at Belle Reve, And obviously was the winner, uh, of the 2019 BMW over Cantley, you know, one of the highest or one of the 
most lucrative scoring events. I'm not not sure how to put that one. I guess lowest scoring events um, that we've seen in recent memory. I think he won at 2400, and Cantley was following him at like 2500. Was a it was a crazy duel. They made a ton of birdies. I think JT set the course record like twice over the course of the week. Um, but yeah, when it comes to like a easy scoring golf course, Northeast, bed grass, uh, emphasis on driving distance over accuracy, short to middle iron play, like it all just kind of checks every box for me at JT. Um, you know, we finished T13 last week at St. Jude, which um, dispels for me a lot of the injury concerns we had coming into that week. Um, really, the only reason we didn't bet him was the was the question marks about his back. And, you know, we again, he finished T13 at a tough golf course where he was third from T to green. So the ball striking is there. He actually improved uh, his approach play every single day. So it seems like he's rounding into form. He's, you know, JT's just he's that caliber player where, you know, one win a year feels like a little bit even too little for him, even if that one win was a major. So. Um, I think, you know, the clock's kind of ticking for JT to get his next win, and this is uh, about the perfect setup. Yeah, and like you mentioned, uh, JT and birdie events is, is, can be a lot of fun. So, yeah, uh, and it's it's funny, too, to see that, you know, you mentioned he won this event in 2019 at a minus 25. And, yeah, um, yeah the guy that finished runner-up is a guy that we'll be talking about in this in this next range. But I guess... Before we get there, did you have any any thoughts on Scotty Scheffler or Willie Z coming back to back here, but potentially? Yeah. Um. So for Scheffler, like I can't argue with um with some of the Scheffler numbers I've seen out there. I know for I know for our book he opened at eighteen to one, uh, which is always tempting when you get the number one player in the world at eighteen to one. And I've seen guys, I've seen people that I respect buy on that number and and bet Scheffler bet the upside, which I again one hundred percent agree with. I don't think you can really make. A, a great case against any of these guys. Like I think if you want to make a case for, again, any of these probably top 10, like you could make a pretty damn strong case for me. The thing with Scheffler and maybe I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, having pet Justin Thomas is about the same number, but you know, the, the putter does seem to have kind of gone away. The putting magic, he's now lost putt, strokes putting. And I think five of his last six events, he was clearly frustrated on the greens last week at Southwind. And um, you know, and that's how the surface, you know, that a lot of people projecting him to find, kind of find that bounce back. You know, Scheffler's had his, Best success at least this season um, on Bermuda grass green. So for him to you know have that kind of showing around Southwind uh, was a little bit of a wobble for me, a little bit uh, of a strike against for me, um, particularly in a place where you're going to have to get so deep in a par. So for me, I'm I'm against Scheffler in that regard. And Zelatoris is kind of a similar vein, considering you know he just won a golf tournament at 15 under. We always like Zelatoris when scoring gets tough. And if I'm projecting the winning score to be 21, 22 under. The putter's going to have to work for more than just three holes. So, um, yeah, I mean, I look, I, I'm not going to sit here and besmirch Willie Z. Um, certainly, he just he's one of those kids that, like, he can just – I mean, he's very similar to JT, where he can just kind of win a golf tournament without putting. You know, it, it's almost like the, the Nick Faldo quote about Roy McIlroy when he was first coming up, where this kid's never going to have to learn how to putt because he's never going to have to put outside of, like, 15 feet. I mean – it was unbelievable. I mean, I don't think we give enough credence in the intro to like how good Willie's Willie irons were all week long. But I mean, as someone that tracked him for 72 holes, like if he was in the fairway, like it's just like at worst 15 feet, it's just ridiculous. Um, and to come out there on Sunday and hit it to, you know, he hit the first, his first uh, approach shot to three feet. And then his second approach shot to foot and a half. It was just like, Oh God, like it, when this kid is in the fairway and like, you know, has a green light, it's just right at the pin every fucking time. So uh, yeah, he certainly scares me, but you know, again, at this type of golf course, at this number, I'm willing to kind of to sell the uh, sell the sell the peak, I guess, or um, you know, 
not by the ceiling, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So yeah, Scheffler and Zalator is certainly capable, but uh, for me, just based on profile, I like JT a bit more. All right, so the next range here is the 16 to one range and kind of three, I guess three guys that are kind of favorites of, not, maybe not favorites, but guys that we've made money on or or have been favorites of ours in the betting circle this year. But Matty Fitzpatrick, 16 to one, Patrick Canley and Tony Finau. Um, Tony being the, you know, we talked about him a lot last week being the hottest golfer kind of coming into this this playoffs. I think he finished like what I think T five again this past week or T seven uh, something like that. T five, uh, yeah. It was a it took a bad Sunday for him to finish T five as well. So uh, yeah, obviously a really fun range here. But let's reveal who you, we landed on here in this range. Yeah, so I, I did bet Patrick Cantley at sixteen to one uh, number. You can still pretty widely find um, again Cantley, best bet grass putter on the planet. We've we, we all will know, and a lot of golf Twitter well knows, we all had Bryson DeChambeau at this week, at this event last year, I should say. Um, and Cantley just stole our souls with 25-foot putts all week long. So when Cantley, you know, comes to a golf course where you, you know, have to make a ton of birdies, especially on bent grass, we saw it just a couple weeks ago at Detroit Golf Club. I think that's a decent comparable, just based on the strategy these guys are going to be able to take on this golf course, albeit this, this place a little bit longer, but just, you know, bent grass, birdie fest. Uh, Cantley was right up there once again. Um, again, he raises his baseline in, in easier scoring distance. He's actually the best player in this field in easy scoring distance over his last 50 rounds, beating out Rory and JT in that metric. And yeah, I just think again, very much like JT, like when you just break down like this golf course, Northeastern winning score, likely at 20, 21, 22 under par bent grass, classical golf course, you know, um, emphasis on driving distance, short middle iron play, like it all just kind of comes up cantley. So for me, the last few weeks, like, the obvious play has kind of just came through. You know, like, Willie Z, like, everyone's on him for a reason. I think, you know, I was pretty bullish on him, and everyone was, too, for very good reason. And it wasn't all that difficult to kind of make the case for Will's out towards at a, at a difficult golf course like Southwinds. Uh, obviously, Finau went on a crazy tee to green run over two weeks and won two events back-to-back. You know, Fitzpatrick, you know, it made a lot of sense. Cam Smith made a lot of sense. Gio and Kim, I mean... We didn't really have enough, a big sample size to see his profile, but I mean, the kid doesn't miss a fairway and he's a great iron player. Like it, it obviously, you know, that profile works around Sedgefield as he proved. So I'm just going to kind of, again, kind of stick to my gut here and I'm going to stick to the profile that I, um, I've laid out and I think Cantley fits as well as anybody, you know, the, the overall numbers from last week don't look great, but you know, I'd never really liked again, the course fit in the Southeast for, for Patrick Cantley. And, you know, I mean, he came out, Blazing. I mean, he, he was five under, I think, through 17 holes. He made a double bogey on the on the first uh, day on 18, um, which he was far from the only one. But yeah, with the abundance, just with the abundance of water and just how janky that golf course is, I think it plays very much like a Florida golf course, like a PJ National, even like a Sawgrass, where you know you can look at stats all you want, but you know one or two bad holes can really tank like your approach numbers, your off the tee numbers. So for me, I think this is a much more comfortable fit for Patrick and. I would look for a big time rebound this week. Um, in terms of Finau, like, yeah, I I, I think Finau is a really good bet this week. I would say I was probably the closest on Tony um, of anyone at the top of this board. Um, obviously, we went with JT and Cantley. We can't really bet three guys on any twenty to one, so he was again one of the final cuts. Um, but yeah, Tony just he continues to be a T to green just dynamo man. I mean, he was. He was really impressive through those first three days, and I think the the magic maybe kind of ran out with the putter a little bit on Sunday, but uh, he's certainly capable of, of piling up birdies in a hurry. So he'll be a name that, um, you know, love Tony, but I kind of hope 
to see him at the bottom leaderboard on Thursday morning just to kind of get him out of here <laughs> a little bit. Uh, because if he's in the mix come Saturday, Sunday, he's definitely a name to that can that can win again. Uh, Fitzpatrick, for me, uh, is one of my least favorite players in the 20-1, if only because the iron play is just not quite good enough for me. The ball strike is not quite good enough for me. Again, you know, I'm going to reiterate myself a lot, but we we like Fitzpatrick at the same type of golf courses we like Zalatoris on. We like um, we like John Rahm on as well. You know, difficult golf courses, emphasis on finding fairways, emphasis on total driving, um, you know, bogey avoidance, that kind of place. And I think this is a place where I, you know, I mean, obviously he's perfectly capable of winning. He's a world-class player, but uh, I think he's, you know, maybe starting a little bit behind the uh, the eight ball here just with um, the head start. I think a lot of these other guys are beginning. So uh, for me, yeah, just not not the best course fit for Fitzpatrick. But um, if he can find a way to stick, you know, get the good finish here, maybe stick into the top five or six going to Eastlake. Um, maybe, you know, a top five finish or top ten finish would do it here if he has a nice week. Um, you know, next week's the week I, I would look at Fitzpatrick as a potential contender if he can find his way uh, into the mix uh, with the stagger start next week. But yeah, not this week for me. And maybe I spoke a little too soon on like a kind of a favorite range here. Because what's next for a hitch? Tom Warcott, 20 to 1, Xander Shoffley, 20 to 1, Cam Young, 25, Sam Burns, 25, Sungjae, 25, and Victor, 28. So the 20s here, a lot of a lot of our favorite guys in this range. <laughs> this <is> um, <laughs> do what? It's basically last week's card. Yeah, you're actually you're not wrong. <laughs> One, two, yeah, four of them. Um, so, yeah, I guess, you know, we just talked about seeing positive signs from Colin. Yeah. Um, I couldn't really tell you what Xander's done the last month, um, but Cam Young seems to always kind of be in the mix. Sam Burns was in the mix for a little bit. Um, Sungjae, I think, finished like T12 or something like that. So all these guys kind of seem to me to be coming in with recent form. So, you know, would it, would it surprise you to see any of these guys win, or were they all pretty much not really in consideration for you? Uh, no, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, this is kind of the problem with uh, the second leg of the Fed's Cup playoffs is a lot yeah. of these guys are playing well. They're, I mean, it's not a coincidence. These guys are the best in the world. They're at the top of the odds board for a reason, and, you know, a lot of them are coming with some solid form off of uh, off of last week. You know, Colin, yeah, it, it would hurt if, uh, if he won this week. I mean, obviously, I would like it as a fan, but it was hurt from, like, a betting perspective if uh, – if you won this week, but yeah, I mean, I don't want to kind of just say the same thing over and over again, but yeah, like when you look at what Colin, the golf courses Colin has done the best on over the course of his career, you know, open championship won at 15 under 16 under, I believe WGC down in Florida at a concession won at 17, 18 under uh, Harding park. He won at 15 under Mirfield village. I think again, 15 under something like that. Like, I don't I can't really remember. I'm sure it has happened, but I don't think I've ever remember I can't remember if Colin Morcal's ever won a tournament or even gotten to twenty under after seventy two holes in the golf tournament. Like I said, I'm likely wrong because, you know, this kid's un- he's unbelievable. And his iron play, if it continues the way it did on Sunday, um at Southwind, like he could just like go out towards mode and just stick everything to four feet and then, you know, we're looking pretty dumb when he's at the top of the leaderboard on, on Thursday. But yeah, I mean, the thing for me is stringing four rounds together for Colin has, has been a little bit tough this year, and particularly here where, again, you're going to have to make a ton of birdies, and if the putter falters for a day or two, it's kind of very similar to the case I made against Al Torres, where, um, you know, it, it, he's going to he's gonna kind of have to bat a perfect game on the greens, I feel like, if he's going um, to actually contend for a win here. So I think he's going to have a good week, but, uh, again, 20-1, to 1, the numbers uh, – a little bit uh, too low for me. 
Uh, if he was like 25, 28, I would be more inclined to take a shot. But if you ask me to pick him straight up over Cantley or, or JT, like I'm going to, I'm going to side with the two guys we have on the card, obviously Xander to your point, not been a huge, um, yeah, not, not really seen much of him in the last really since his kind of three tournament run there in Scotland and in, uh, in Connecticut, uh, I think he finished like T52, which Cantley, I mean, I think he tied with Cantley actually um, through 72 holes the last week. And sure, like I, I get the upside with Xander. If you look at the long-term form, like it's obviously phenomenal. Uh, he was one of the best ball strikers on the planet for like a two-month stretch there, very similar to Finau. So yeah, if you want to buy the dip and, uh, you know, this course does set up pretty well for him, you know, in terms of he typically plays a lot better in the Northeast than he does in the South. So, um, you know, he certainly has the length in the game to, to contend here. So yeah, 20 to one on Xander, I think is a solid number. I, I would personally uh, rather pay up for one of the guys in 16, but yeah, I, I see the I see the thought process there. Cameron Young, super popular pick this week at 25, um, and I get it. You know, you look at the you look at the quote that Cantley had where um, you know he said he basically just called this place you know bomb and gouge golf course, pretty um, unnuanced when it comes to strategy off the tee, and a guy like Cameron Young can just really blow this place. It feels like very similar to what he did at Detroit Golf Club, so. It's a big step up in full. It's a big step up in class in terms of the tournament. Um, I think we bet Cam Young at what twenty or twenty-two to one in Detroit. Now we're asking uh, him to, you know, win at twenty-five to one in this type of field. So that's really the only thing that gives me reservation. But yeah, I certainly like Cam Young's chances a lot better this week than I did last week in terms of just the course fit. Um, yeah, Burns for me at twenty-five. I'm a little bit less bullish. I mean, I don't want to like. <laughs> I don't want to say it's only because we're not in the Southeast, but yeah, like we got him at 40 to one at Southwind, which I thought was a lot better fit. And now he's at 25. So yeah, he's just a casualty kind of just not being a uh, good enough value for me to even consider him at this range. Um, especially next to Song Jay. I do like Song Jay quite a bit. He finished third, I believe at last year's BMW. So he's proven that he can, he can, um, you know, run up a score when he needs to. And he's certainly in great form. T to green. He shot a 62, uh, or 63. I'm sorry. On Saturday. Um, didn't really create too many birdie chances on Sunday which I think he shot, uh, yeah, he shot one under on Sunday, 69, um, which starting at nine under, four shots back, five shots back, was not uh, near enough to make a charge. But yeah, certainly, I, I think Sung Jae is a compelling pick, but I stayed off. And then Victor's probably the most interesting one just because he's the lowest price, and he actually had a pretty good ball striking week last week. Like, I've seen like upwards of 33, 35 to one on Victor Hovland, and I've actually really considered that because... Um, again, I think, you know, Victor is a guy that I do trust the putter a lot more than some of these ball strikers below him. And, um, at a place again with big greens where you hypothetically won't have to scramble as much, you know, his lag putting, as you saw at St. Andrews is pretty good. Um, so I much prefer Victor at, at a golf course where again, you're going to be forced to get down in two from 80 feet on the greens rather than, uh, 30 yards from the fairway or from the rough. So, uh, yeah, I think Victor, I think Hoblin at 28 is a pretty compelling pick, but again, um, when you go 16 to one, uh, times two at the top, it's, it's kind of tough to, to fit a 28 to one, uh, name your card. But yeah, if you can get a 30, 35 to one on Victor, I'm, I'm not opposed to that one bit. All right. So I think this next range is probably where we stop from a, yeah, who's most likely <laughs> to win this event. Um, so we got Joaquin Neiman at 33, uh, Tom Kim 33 and Jordan Spieth at 40. Um, the next range of guys kind of confuses me a little bit. So we're just going to stop here. Um, so yeah, Tom Kim, uh, still kind of riding this high a little bit. Jordan, Jordan, a guy kind of similar to Xander. I couldn't really tell you what he's done in the last month, but Joaquin, um, 
a guy that seems to be playing really well right now. Um, I listened to uh, our man, our man first. We listened to first cut on the way home, and uh, God, why am I not thinking of his name? We the reporter yeah. that we saw in person. No, the um, oh, Mark Gimbleman. Yeah, Mark Gimbleman. Mark yeah. Gimbleman was actually he spoke about him a little bit in in particular today on first cut, talking about how. He really feels like Neiman is is right there, like right on the precipice of being great. Um, so let's hear it, guys. This is your last. This is our last play of the week. So what's what what caught your eye? Yeah, this is the last play of the week, and maybe uh, shout out to Mark Neiman, but maybe a little bit of bias there, considering his uh, his brother's about to cap the Presidents Cup team, which Neiman will obviously be a part of. So uh, maybe a little bit of uh, propaganda <laughs> there for the national side, but yeah, I'll take what we can get. Uh, we got Neiman at 40 to one. I think you can still find him 40, 45 to one around uh, a lot of books here. Uh, but yeah, I, I was really impressed by Neiman last week. We're going to a course again with large bent grass greens, easier score conditions, emphasis on driving distance. Um, this upon first glance kind of seems like the perfect fit for, uh, for Neiman to kind of capture his second marquee win this season. Um, he has been a bit sporadic uh, in 2022, but he's proven he can t- contend on big stages. Obviously one at Riviera in a big time field, third at Mirfield village, six at Torrey Pines. And he's coming off one of the more impressive ball striking weeks uh, he's had in recent form uh, in Memphis. You know, again, 5.8 strokes, excuse me, on approach, which is third in the field. Uh, over his last three rounds, he gained 8.25 strokes ball striking, which was better than only Zal or bested only by Zal Torres in that same time frame. Uh, third in birdie opportunities gained inside 15 feet behind just Zal Torres and Henley. And uh, yeah, he was just. He was just there. Like it seemed like every time I was looking at Neiman or every time he came on the tel- on the uh, on the broadcast, he was putting for birdie from eight, 10, 12 feet. And uh, yeah, I think he's fine a little bit under the radar uh, at 40 to one here, especially when you turn when you come and when you compare him to kind of his fellow under 25 young guns like a like a Tom Kim, like a Cameron Young, um, you know, like a Hovland or something like that. Like, you know, I'll take this kind of form at the lowest price. So, uh, yeah, 40 to one for me is a really good number on Neiman. Um, Tom Kim at 33 is, is a stay, stay away from me. I just think, uh, you know, his lack of length off the team might finally kind of catch up with him this week. I think Southwind and, and, um, Sedgefield were much better fits for him, but, um, you know, I think this week, uh, if he can, comp- I mean, like a, to your point, I mean, he, he was phenomenal last week as well. I mean, he finished T13, I believe, uh, but he was fourth from T to green, uh, in that golf tournament. So I think he gained strokes on approach and off the tee every single day uh so this kid's the real deal it's just 33 to 1 i think this course is maybe just a little bit out of his wheelhouse but um yeah if you want to ride the heater i have nothing to say against that and spieth 40 to 1 on spieth does feel a little bit jarring but um yeah he's shown even less of a pulse than xander i mean i don't even um i don't remember seeing him at all in the telecast he got cut finished minus or finished plus four through two rounds um at south wind lost almost three shots on approach Lost around the greens, lost putting, lost off the tee. So, yeah, just not in any kind of form. Um, and so, despite the number, I'm going to uh, hard pass on Jordan Spieth. And then I'll kind of freely talk about kind of the guys 50 to 1 that, um, or 50 to 1 to be on that I actually kind of like this week. Uh, Hideki Matsuyama, I, I've seen 65 to 1s. And if you know kind of our typical unit allocation for a golf week, there is a bit of room um, for maybe an ad like 50 to 1, 60 to 1, um, somewhere in there. And if I had if I had to make that ad pre-tournament, it would be Matsuyama. I think at 65. Uh, you talk about his course fit. Um, one at Firestone. I think he finished top five at Bell Reeve in 2018. 
Um, phenomenal on bent grass, or I mean, relatively phenomenal when you talk about Hideki's putting splits, but he is obviously a lot more comfortable on bent grass and fast, undulating bent grass at that. Uh, when you think about, you know, his results of the Masters or the short game results of the Masters over the last few years. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's a really, really compelling punt to take at 65 to 1. I think this course really fits Hideki. Um, and, you know, if you look at his last two starts off of a WD, it was T14 at the Masters and the T4, I think it. I forget where it was, uh, but he finished T4, T4 and T14 in his last two starts off at WD. Um, and so, yeah, I think if you're willing to, again, assume a bit of a risk and, um, oh yeah, it was off the uh, US Open, T4 the US Open off of WD. Um, and so, yeah, it's going to be obviously quite risky considering we haven't seen Hideki since the Open Championship. Uh, and he just put you with an injury last week, but I do like the fact that he's back this week and he kind of took a week off for a bit of R&R. And this number is just kind of insane at 50 or 60 to one on a guy with his profile and his pedigree. Um, so yeah, for me, um, he's a guy I'll be looking for. I'll be looking at pretty, um, I guess I'll be, I'll be pretty keenly aware of for the, for the first like six or eight holes just to see uh, kind, of, kind of how he's striking the ball. Hopefully we get some PJ tour live coverage on him to see kind of how he's walking, how he's feeling, because I think if a anywhere near right, like he can actually, uh, he can absolutely contend here. Um, you know, Lowry, I think Lowry maybe just based on pedigree is a pretty good play here when you talk about, uh, just a good middle iron player, uh, good putter, but yeah, the lack of length on the team maybe gets me away from him home at 50 to one, not a bad play considering just the repertoire or the, the profile of ball striking we've seen the caliber of ball striking we've seen over the last few months. He's cooled down a little bit, which I guess would explain the price a little bit, but yeah, um, and then I guess one last one, Cameron Davis at 66 to one. Um, same reason I kind of liked him again at Detroit Golf Club. I keep bringing this course up as a cool earlier, but of course you can kind of bomb a gouge on bent grass greens. You got to make a ton of birdies. Um, and Cam Davis actually sneakily finished T13 um, at the St. Jude last week, which was a really tough, really good result for him considering kind of the caliber player he is and the, the strength of the field that was there that week. Uh, for him to finish T13, getting on approach, getting off the tee um, is a real good sign. So I, I do like, I do like Cameron Davis as far as um, maybe more of like a prop play, like a top 10, top 20 play than an outright. But uh, yeah, those are kind of my leans, um, 50 to one to be on. And don't be surprised to see maybe one or two of them uh, on the, uh, on the live ad card as we, as we goes along. Good deal. So I guess that pretty much does it. Honestly, unless there's any, you kind of covered some guys a little deeper down, but yeah. um, I guess overarching thoughts, or any other thoughts you want to conclude with, or I can just go ahead and conclude what our card is. Uh, yeah, no, I think I pretty much covered it. I think it's going to be a ton of birdies, ton of scoring. You know, this this tournament over the years, again, we've seen Cantley and Bryson duel, Rahm and DJ duel, JT and Cantley duel the last three years. Like, it's been uh, a pretty compelling tournament. So hopefully we have more of the same this week and we can, uh, you know, get a little Sunday, Sunday afternoon sweat going uh, for the second straight week. All right, so with that being said, the... Official flag hunting uh, pod card for the BMW Championship is Justin Thomas and Patrick Kentley each at 16 to 1, seven units apiece. And then we're going to Joaquin Neiman at 40 to 1, and we're going two and a half, I believe, right? I didn't have us pulled up. 5, 2.75. 2.75, okay. Um, so, yeah, two guys at the top, one guy just midway down. Uh, seems like a pretty smart uh, vantage play for a, uh, you know, such a star studded event. So, I guess with that being said, we'll uh, transition to Watkins Glen. Um, unlike golf, we are not quite to the playoffs yet, but we are very much in the playoff hunt. 
two races away. We got Watkins Glen this week and Daytona next week. Um, Daytona, man, I am pumped for that, but we got to get through Watkins Glen first. Um, so yeah, we got to get Watkins Glen to be able to fire the way I know we want to at Daytona. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, you're right. You're right. We got to get the, got to build the units up. Build the units up so we can just blow them all in the super speed. <laughs> <laughs> when the favorite wins, we're all our bets are like 30 to 1. So we are headed to Watkins Glen, New York. Uh, we're going to the Watkins Glen International uh, Road Course. Um, the race is the Go Bowling at the Glen uh, is the title of the race. No numbers, just straight up Go Bowling at the Glen. Uh, it's a 2.45 mile road course. Um, I have a feeling this is going to be one of Ian's questions, so I did put this in here. Uh, it is considered a high speed uh, technical road course, but it's less technical than some of the other tracks we've kind of been to earlier this year. Um if you look at iFancy Racing's notes, he tells you to study all road courses, but to uh, kind of zero in on Coda and Road America. Um, I did go back and try to listen to some interviews of some drivers, just trying to figure out kind of what, if they were kind of comparing this to any other track. Um, Kyle Busch, notably, I think two years ago, he did a tire test, um, and he felt like it was a, a, a very similar to Coda, where it was kind of a good mix of road america and um sonoma actually and then um i looked at the tire test from earlier this year where uh william byron felt like it was uh kind of closer to indie road course so kind of some different art overarching thoughts about kind of what's comparable here especially in this next gen car yeah um one thing that i did go back and do i kind of looked at the i wanted to go back and look at kind of like the average speeds at each of those tracks um, so Coda and Sonoma were about 92 miles an hour is the average speed at those tracks. Road America came at about 95 miles per hour average speed. Indy Road Course 98. Um, if I go back and look at Watkins Glen before this year, we were averaging about 98. So to me, that Indy Road Course um, does kind of check out with Road America as well, kind of those top two. So that's kind of where I'm sitting. I didn't really place any extra emphasis on them, but just kind of notable that you know the most two recent most two recent road courses we've been to seem to be the most comparable here so um yeah kind of similar to most weeks um i'm looking at uh all road course or average finish and drive rating at all road courses since 2019 then i'm bringing in specifically uh Watkins glen data from 2019 to now um looking at average finish and drive rating there i'm looking at 2021 total speed rankings at road courses and 2022 total speed at road courses as well as the total speed at all tracks, the last six finishes, last six races average finish and drive rating, the last 15 races average finish and drive rating. And then I finished it out by bringing in some um, average finish and average qualifying, um, which is a new metric I've been bringing in the last few weeks as we've been looking at some qualifying bets. Um, so a lot of metrics thrown here, uh, a little more emphasis on the kind of current data. I have a lot more current data than normal, and I'm not really bringing in any other tracking specifically um before 2022 other than like the general road course summary so what does that model spit out so that model spits out number one chase elliott number two kyle larson number three martin truex number four ryan blaney and number five denny hamlin um so you can see a lot of jgr drivers are up there kind of interesting because when you look at the history here uh jgr has been good but you look at this year jgr has not been good um, so that'll be a talking point um, here shortly. Um, as for the schedule for this week, we are looking at um, Saturday practice at 12.05. Um, they do get a 50-minute practice session 
rather than like 20 minutes I normally get. So uh, 105 qualifying is following that 50 minute practice session and the race is Sunday at three o'clock. So with that being said, I'll kick it to Ian to uh, go over the odds board here. Yeah. Um, yeah, those, those were all working out. I've, I always am, or I, I always, I never envy you when it comes to these road courses. Cause I always feel like, I don't know, maybe this is just an amateur perspective on like motorsport and, and NASCAR in general, but I always feel like there's so much more nuance when you come to like a, a Watkins Glen, like there's less comparables between like a Watkins Glen and like a Coda versus like a New Hampshire versus a Richmond. If you know what I mean? Like it's very easy for me to see the parallels between those two tracks and why drivers, similar drivers tend to, pl- uh, tend to drive well. Um, whereas on a road course, I don't know. Uh, it just feels like, like I said, there's, especially here, like it does feel like it's a little bit of an outlier compared to like a road America or an India or Coda, just, just based on the, the races I've seen. And you did mention it was kind of a higher speed, um, like a higher horsepower. Uh, you place more emphasis on that versus like the technicality of like, a a Sonoma. So that makes sense just based on the eye test that I had. Um, I did kind of want to ask, I guess, because I guess of the high horsepower um, nature of this, of this track, do you put more weight on like the top teams just because obviously they have, um, you know, better, better cars and better output and, you know, typically more speed week to week. Like, do you think it gives the top teams more of an advantage this week or do you still think like a road course ring, like an Albanigger, for example, at, at in the 16 car uh, or, in, or maybe even a Raikkonen uh, who's coming in this week uh, has just a bit of a chance here than they would at somewhere else? Um, I think if, if we weren't in the next gen car, mm-hmm. I would probably place, an, place more of an emphasis on the, the, the better teams. But what we've really only been to four road courses this year, how much have these teams really learned? Um, and we've kind of seen the same names at every road course to be completely honest with you so like you know i've seen i've seen a lot of buzz on twitter saying like man the books really kind of got it right because yeah but uh can you blame them because what from what we've seen this year it's it's been kind of the same exact trends every single time i mean nothing not really a lot has changed so i think guys like i mean we're going to talk about them shortly but guys like chris busher michael mcdowell aj almendinger daniel suarez you know, those guys are still very much live. Um, I don't think I don't think anyone's really off the board other than like your complete surprise winners. Like I don't expect to see I better choose wisely here in case somebody actually wins this race. But uh like I don't see like a Ricky Stenhouse coming out here winning this race. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't see uh um Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, guys like that basically, you know. I just don't expect to see that. I mean, there are guys like the name I almost said, but I was hesitant because he actually does kind of have some decent numbers, but like Cole Custer, for example. Right. Um, so I think Cole Custer was in, he was in the mix of the extended race at, at India, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Yeah. He so. finished ninth in the cups in the cup race too. So that's why I was, that's why I was hesitant. I was like, I better be careful because <laughs> I almost said his name and I was yeah. like, actually he's been better than I thought. Um, yeah. Eric Jones, I guess is another name. Like I don't expect someone like that to win the race, but guys that we've seen have success so far this year, I think are very much live. Okay, cool. And we'll obviously get into all the profiles as we get down the odds board. And uh, much like golf, I guess we'll start with the top two because Rory and, and John Rahm with a clear tier one, uh, according to oddsmakers this week on the links on the track this week, it is Chase Elliott and it's Tyler Reddick. Chase comes in at five to one. Tyler Reddick comes in at six and a half to one here on the odds board here at Watkins Glen. Um, yeah, you can't really argue with Reddick's spot and leader on the uh, on, on the odds board. What, what do you actually think of his prospects from a betting out um, from a betting outline this week? 
Yeah, so I kind of told you, I gave you a little hint before we got on the podcast where I was, I'm kind of, as I sit right now, I don't have any bets other than one kind of yeah. actually clicked. Um, so I'm kind of hoping as we talk this through that I kind of convince my way one way or the other. But I've kind of got in my notes, I've got two different methods here kind of written down, like which way do I want to go? And one of the methods is just betting Tyler Reddick at the top. Um, because one reason is, which, you know, we're, we've been transparent and saying that we use Bovada. Uh, currently, Bovada compared to FanDuel, um, DK, pretty much any other book I've seen, we've got the best number right now. So we've already kind of got a lean there because everyone else I've seen is plus 500, plus 600. We're sitting with plus 650. We're getting an extra 50 cents on, on Tyler Riddick right now. So I think from that standpoint, um, I'm already slightly leaning there just because we've already got the value just from the head. Now, when I read out my top five of my model, you didn't hear Todd Riddick's name. Um, but what I like to do, especially recently, I've been kind of over to the right of my model. I'm kind of running like a secondary model to say, hey, don't take any historical data into effect. Only pull your 2022 data. If I do that, Todd Riddick's first in this model. Yeah. Um, Chase, Chase is still second. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not like they're very far behind and they're not very far off each other. But um, yeah, I mean... Just if you look at finishing position, if you take Sonoma out of the picture for Reddick, um, he's finished fifth, first, and first. Or Chase has finished fourth, eighth, second, and sixteenth. If you take, you know, if you take the sixteenth out for it, for Chase, you know, they're both sitting at, you know, even if you take that seventeenth out for Chase, Reddick still has Chase beat by about three positions on average. Mm-hmm. Um, so, do I think Chase is due? I do think this is. Probably a good place to bet Chase. I think plus 500 is probably the best number we've seen on Chase at a road course in the last two years. So mm-hmm. I do not blame anybody. Um, but for me, from what we've seen from Tyler Rake this year, I mean, everything screams his name right now. And, you know, he's he's fourth in uh, total speed at road courses this year. He's first in drivers, fastest late in a run. Um, you know, obviously already noted that the two wins – um average finish first average qualifying first yeah you know, this number is not going to go anywhere i mean if anything it's going to get shorter because right. uh and chase is actually pretty similar chase has an average qualifying of second at the road courses this year in 2022 so i do think if you're going to bet one of these guys you know as you're listening right now is probably the time to do it mm-hmm. um because i think we could easily see one of these guys jump to plus three four hundred come come the weekend Right. I mean, you saw it last time, I mean, at the road course at Indy. I mean, he was, you know, Reddick was probably, he was opening at what, like 10 or 12 to 1 at Indy road course, gets off the truck, practices well, qualifies well, all of a sudden he's, I think, might be the favorite of the co-favorite alongside Chase. So books will be very quick to adjust if, if Reddick does show speed because it's clear that he can uh, he can wheel a car around a road course. His last, obviously, two races at Indy and at uh, Road America. Yep. Indy Road yep. America, road courses he both won. I was going to push back a little bit because, you know, obviously you just think of the course of the season, like betting Reddick six and a half to one versus Elliott to five. Like you're obviously getting the, you're getting a little bit of hiccup in terms of like the speed these you know cars have had over the last two weeks, really since um, his Indy win, he really, Reddick hasn't really been a factor in any of the two races since he was 28th and 17th, of total speed at Michigan and Richmond respectively. But just going back uh, before his road America win, he was, 18th and 21st at Sonoma National Total Speed. And then for his, uh, I think he finished, what, top five at Coda? Or he was very, very, he, he was right there in the mix at Coda. 
Um, but he was 26 in total speed of Atlanta. So he's proven that he can kind of come back from poor performances. And then once he gets, once he gets to road course, um, it's, you know, all bets are off because uh, he just tends to show speed uh, no matter where he's been uh, at some of these tracks. So, yeah, Reddick six and a half to one. I can't argue one bit with that. Um, and, yeah, so I guess let's get let's get in the next tier and we'll figure out if there are maybe guys worth betting down the board. Um, maybe as, you know, in case you don't want to go to the top, if there's how, how substantial is the competition further back? Because I think that will determine a lot of if you do want to go to a chase or to a Reddick, like if you think this race is going to be super competitive, like an Indy, like an Indy where it was like really wide open and, you know, there was a lot of kind of stop start, a lot of cautions and a lot of just, you know, really, I guess variance would probably be the best word or just like things that were super unpredictable. I mean, Chase was, Chase was right there in the mix at Indy uh, and the final few restarts and then he gets turned around and turn what turn one, like the first turn of that kind of penultimate restart and his day was pretty much done, you know? So I guess maybe that's more inclusive to, to an any road course, uh, maybe in my opinion, but uh, but certainly if you're going to see a lot of cautions late in this race, I think it opens up the, the door for the field. Um, but yeah, let's go down the board here. Nine, starting at nine to one, we have Kyle Larson, last year's winner. Uh, nine to one, Austin Sindrick, who's one of our personal favorites of road courses, 10 to one, and Ross Chastain at 12 to one. Uh, we'll throw Daniel Suarez, his teammate right there in the mix at 12. So Kyle Larson at nine, Austin Sindrick at 10, Ross Chastain at 10 and Daniel Suarez at 12. Does anyone catch your eye in this range or is this pretty much stay away and just kind of, you know, sack up and just take the top two drivers? No. So if, if I don't go Redick at the top, this is where we start option B where I was kind of hinting at. Um, I think early in the process, I thought that that Larson 900 number is really speaking to me at first. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the more I dug into it, I can't, talk myself out of austin cindric um i really can't uh i i think ross and, and daniel are obviously very interesting because if there's anyone who's shown speed no matter what the venue is it's been those track house cars now yeah well okay, let me finish my thought first so i guess ross is second at road courses in total speed this year daniel's yeah. fifth so they both as a team been very good ross in particular First at Coda, seventh at Sonoma, fourth at Road America, and ninth at Indy Road Course in, tar- in terms of total speed. Um, Daniel Suarez, tenth, first, sixth, and seventh. Um, and then their finishes, you know, are just as good. Where Ross is sitting with an average finish of, um, oh god, I lost it. Where to go? Ross is sitting with an average finish of se- uh, fourth, so second really in the field. Yep. Uh, whereas Daniel is sitting at an average finish of 14 and a half, which is ninth among all drivers. Notable for Daniel is that he's went 24th, 1st, 5th, 28th. So, like, kind of, it's he, Daniel's either like a top car or like not good at all, it seems. Um, so, that wasn't really enough for me. But Austin Sindrick, man, 8th, 5th, 7th, and 2nd are his finishes mm-hmm. at the road courses this year. His total speed, he's third among all drivers, 4th, 9th, 5th, and 3rd. I it's hard to argue. I even went back to his Xfinity stats. He had 13 wins in the Xfinity series. Five of them came at road courses. Uh, yeah. He does he does have a win at Watkins Glen, and he's actually the last winner at Watkins Glen in the Xfinity series, the reigning champ there. Um, it's it's hard for me. I, I don't know. If there's anything you can really say to talk me out of. Even his qualifying numbers. His qualifying numbers are oh, really good too. He's yeah. other than other than Sonoma, where he was 25th in qualifying. He's went 10th, 5th, and 2nd. Yeah. Um, so another guy that I think his price can only go shorter from here. And 
you know, we saw it, you know, earlier this year where I think he opened at what, like 14 to 16 and was down to 10 or plus 800 by the weekend. So we've hit the value on him before. So Cedric is very much a guy um, where if I don't go with Redick at the top, I think I start option B with, or I guess he's actually option A. Option B is the Redick bet. So option A is the uh, three units on Cedric at, at 10 units would be where we'd start. Yeah, and I, I echo your sentiment about the poll, uh, the, the qualifying as well, because, yeah, it does feel like, um, you know, he opens a 10 to 1, and he's a guy very much like Redick, uh, especially last time at Indy, where they qualified on the, on the front row, and all of a sudden uh, the 10 to 1's gone, and you're having to pay 5, 6 to 1 on so do you have I do have one other thought, too. I meant to bring this up. So here's the, here's the uh, I always put these two terms mixed up, the bear. The bear's the bad, right? The bear's the bad case. Right. Here's the bear case on Cindric, though. So here's where I kind of talked myself out of it. And I want to give credit where credit's due because I think it was Skybox that I saw tweet this when we were at Indy Road Course. So he actually bet, where we had bet Christopher Bell to win stage one, I think he had actually bet either Cindric or Blaney or he bet one of the Penske cards. Okay. And his reasoning was, I remember reading, was Penske seems to, as a team, they just like to stay out stage one and get the stage points. Right. He is... He was right on cue. I went back into vet that. And pretty much every race this year, Penske has stayed out. And that has really dictated their finishes because one thing we've talked about, if you don't pit right before that stage break at road courses, it kind of screws your whole race. Yeah. Um, so just kind of giving examples here at Coda, Blaney and Logano stayed out second and fourth at stage at the end of stage one. They ended up finishing well, six for Blaine. So he actually kind of made his way back up through. But Logano finished 31st. Yeah. Uh, the next race at Sonoma, Logano stayed out. He was second, um, ended up finishing 17th. We go to Road America, same thing. Cindric stayed out. He was second. Logano stayed out, was fourth. Um, Cindric ended up finishing seventh. Yep. And Logano finished, oh gosh, where is Logano? 27th um and then indian road course uh all three of them stayed out in this race blaney second uh logano fifth and cindric was oh actually i guess he he must have hit it actually he, he yeah i know he didn't stay out um which but that goes i mean that proves my point further because cindric ended up finishing second in that race it was a little chaos for him to finish second but yeah. he didn't pit and finish second whereas logano and blaney finished uh sixth and Oh, God, where are you, Blaney? 26, but he got spun. Um, and he was so, tough, uh, tough to look at results. Yeah, so I guess my point here is my only holdup with the Cindric bet is does Penske stick with the strategy? Do they stick with the strategy of, like, all right, all of our guys have wins. Everyone yep. else is going to be fighting for a win. We're just going to stay out. We're going to get the stage points, and we're going to get potentially a playoff point if we have a guy sitting in first. That playoff point could be huge for... Cindric, you know, a guy like Cindric or Logano, yeah. Um, yeah. I think if any of these guys are more likely to pay, it's going to be Blaney because they need. I mean, Blaney doesn't need a win, but he needs. He needs a he, win right now. He's, uh, yeah. Or the, or the better way to look at it is he needs to be better than he needs to kind of stick to whatever Truex is doing as far as strategy. Because if Truex decides to pit, I think he needs to pit. Yeah. He okay. Needs, Fifteen winners. I'm sorry. I thought there were sixteen. Yeah, it's not fifteen. There's not fifteen. Okay, right yeah. Now. My bad. Yep. You're right. Um, so really, what Blaney, Blaney's, 
I guess the best strategy for Blaney is to be in front of Truex. But if he's behind Truex and he sees Truex pit, he's going to pit too. I mean, he's got to stay on the same strategy as Truex and try to finish as close or better than Truex as he can if he wants to keep that point advantage. Right. Um, so I, I guess that's my overarching fear with a strategy is if I go with this option A, which is Cindric, and then the other two guys are put a little bit lower down, I'm worried that this that Cindric just blows it all up by pitting or by not pitting stage one, getting that playoff point in stage points, and then now we have a, one of our guys immediately out of the mix. Yeah. Um, so that's yeah. my fear. Um, so if if I go with option B here, where I play Riddick at the top, I think Cindric will be pretty much guaranteed like lock it in top five bet. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a live opportunity for you because I mean obviously it's it's always tricky with live bets because you never know what the market's going to do, but. Um, yeah, like there's only one way to be sure, and you would hate to bet a guy ten to one, and then <laughs> you just don't know, you know, with that uncertainty. So that's yeah, for for me, I guess um, that would lead me, yeah, to your point, a little bit more towards towards Reddick, who you just know is going for the win, um, or even a guy like Chase, who you know is going for the win. Um, but I guess to your point, Cindric is, I think he's only ahead of Bowman right now in terms of like drivers that have won. Um, he's ahead of. Hang on, I took a screenshot of this because I had a feeling you were going to ask that. Okay. Um, he is ahead of looking the wrong thing. Briscoe and Kurt right now. Okay. So he's um, he's pretty much locked in, right? Like, is there a scenario where he misses the playoffs? Like at this point? Like, I mean, like he's probably what ninety-two percent or something like that, because like he would need two. Yeah, yeah, but he's only got six playoff points. So whenever the playoff points reset, okay. yeah. He's kind of already on the on the brink of being eliminated for that for that cut of twelve. So that yeah. that almost furthers my point of like they may be willing to stay out and get that extra playoff point. Um, yeah, true. This is uh <laughs> this is the the pitfalls of betting NASCAR in uh in mid August when you've got to you got to account for playoff points. But yeah, fair enough. I mean, all you can do right now is just look at who you think is the most capable of winning, and then you kind of let the chips maybe fall where they may. Um, in terms of that, you just use the intel you can, but yeah, certain things are always going to kind of be a known, I feel like in this, in this both of our businesses. So, um, but yeah, Cedric 10 to one is our initial lean here at the, uh, at the start of the uh, double digits. We'll go into 14 to 16 to one, four drivers here, Ryan Blaney at 14 to one, Cedric's teammate uh, in the 12 car, uh, AJ Allmendinger, road course winner at 16 to one, Christopher Bell at 16 to one and Martin Truex at 16 to one. Uh, Martin obviously needs a win. AJ, obviously a factor, always on these road courses, then Bell, shown a lot of speed recently. So Blaney, Almondinger, Bell, Truex, I feel like this is kind of a, a middle range that, you know, is it's kind of, I don't know. I, there's not really a standout for me here, but you're uh, more than welcome to kind of change my mind. No, you're you're pretty spot on. I, I think initially when I first looked at it, I wanted to bet Blaney just because I feel like, man, w- what a way to just not have to worry going to Daytona and then just come out and win this race. Yeah. And 14 to one feels like a pretty good number for Blaney. Who's been a, he's, you know, he's been a pretty good road course racer over the years. I mean, yeah. Yeah, he came, he's fourth of my model. He's third in average finish at all road courses since 2019. Um, you know, this year he's seventh or eighth in average finish, but seventh in average qualifying. So he's been kind of lingering in that area. Um, yeah. He's sixth in total speed at road courses this year. So I think Blaney is is a fine bet here. Mm-hmm. But again, I I just wonder I just wonder if they're more of like, hey, as long as nothing crazy happens these next two weeks, we're in. We're we're okay. Yeah. Um they don't really 
have to race for a win. I think that they should race for a win. Um, so I, I I really can't talk anybody out of the Ryan Blaney bet. Um, Christopher Bell and Truex. Bell is, is probably the most likely JGR driver that I probably would bet on. I am going to talk about one other JGR driver in a little bit, but Bell at least has shown improvements at road courses among the JGR drivers. Um, if you look at the races this year and you take Coda out of the mix, because Coda was, I think Coda's kind of wonky as far as everything else kind of trends in the same direction except for Coda. Um, he did finish third at Coda, though, for what's worth, but um, 27th at Sonoma, 18th at Road America, 12th at any road course. So you can see that kind of natural progression of him kind of moving up through the field. That plus the speed we've seen from Toyota in general in the last three weeks. Right. Um, Christopher Bell does feel like probably the most likely, but I just don't know if I'm willing to bet 16 to 1 for a guy that, for a team that just hasn't shown speed of these road courses. Like 16 just doesn't quite feel like a great number, and Truex hasn't shown any sign of anything at road courses this year. I mean, 7th Dakota within 26th, 13th, and 21st of the other three road courses. Um, and then last week where we kind of all thought, oh, Truex is a lock to win, and he wasn't even in play. Um, so Truex was kind of not even in consideration for me this week. I think last week was his best opportunity, and I think he missed it. Um, yeah. I, I hope we're going to be talking about him next week because I know we talked about him on the uh, Atlanta podcast, and he actually was pretty good at Atlanta. So I hope we can talk about him a little bit next week, but we'll see how that kind of shakes out. Yeah. Um, so for me, that just leaves that leaves Dinger. And um, if if I go, you know, I'm talking about the two different methods here, trying to talk, you know, which one you want to go. If I was to go with Cindric instead of Reddick, then Dinger would kind of fall in here in the middle for me. So we'd be looking at a Cindric Dinger top two for option A. Um, I actually do think 16 to 1 is, is a relatively good price for Dinger. Um, so far this year, he has finished. 33rd, 19th, but then 9th and 7th, the last two road courses. Um, I'm pretty sure he's pretty much absolutely dominated every single road course in Xfinity Series. Um, as far as total speed goes, uh, he's sitting at about 15th, but a lot of that has to do with him being pretty bad at Sonoma, where he was 25th, fastest there. Um, but he was 3rd at Coda and 12th at Indy Road Course as far as total speed goes. And overall, it just kind of seems like it kind of feels like Colleague has a little bit of momentum right now. Um, they, Justin Haley has been running pretty well lately. Um, they are um, actually making an announcement tomorrow where they're going to be, it, it's not official yet, but the rumor is that uh, they're going to be bringing back the 14 car for the Xfinity series for this, for next week at Daytona. And Justin Haley is going to run that car for them at, at um, an Xfinity series. So, it feels like there's just a little scene with Colleague. Plus, you add in like the Kyle Busch kind of news, where like they're kind of they're apparently in the, they're in the contract talks to Kyle Busch. Um, I know it seems like a lot of like weird narrative talks, but I just feel like Colleague is kind of training in the right direction, and it would be huge for them to get a playoff spot. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean Dinger is uh, I think is very much in play at sixteen to one. I think it's I think it's a good number. It's right on. It's pretty much right on spot for probably what I would bet if he was any shorter. I don't think I would bet him. Right. 16, 16 is about the range. I think I brought it up in the previous two road courses where like, ah, I kind of wish he was more like 16 to one. Cause I think he was like, what, 10 to one at Road America or something like that. He was something stupid. Yeah. Um, qualified awful. I think he actually drifted to like 16, 18, um, but he was never really in that race until the caution kind of flew. So I think, I think Dinger's maybe a guy we might know pretty much right off the bat. Um, like if he's kind of got it or if he doesn't. Um, Cause I guess, yeah, he did, he did finish like top 10, I think last time at Road America, but um 
And that was with no power steering, too, by the way. Yeah, and, like, severe dehydration. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was, I was going to say, um, if you don't like the dinger number, just parlay it with his Xfinity number. Because, like, last time at Road America, it looked like it was just a man versus, like, a bunch of boys. Because, like, yeah. he just absolutely dominated that Road America race. Or, I'm sorry, the uh, the Indy Red Course race. Indy Red Course, yeah. 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 So, maybe you can you can get him at 40 if he's, like, plus 250 at <laughs> the Xfinity race. But that's just my, uh, my dinnered amateur better voice talking there but uh yeah okay so blaney dinger is the uh are the favorites here from kind of this middle range of the teens uh we'll kind of go back into the 20s now um as we start to get maybe you know a little bit farther um <laughs> down like the win equity rankings here but you know certainly some interesting names if you've been paying against a lot of the road course races as recent so briscoe is a 22 to 1 a guy that always seems to have speed at these road courses um you know he's won the last two stage ones which i know our boy skybox was on both of those so uh you know speaking of a guy that always stays out and you know once that playoff point you know maybe for a very similar reason the cindric might want the playoff points um in this week upcoming but yeah briscoe at 22 to 1 showed a lot of speed on, on road courses kyle bush at 22 to 1 uh chris busher at 25 to 1 has had a couple near misses on these type of tracks denny hamlin at 28 to 1 is where we'll stop so briscoe bush busher and hamlin from 22 to 28, uh, I know you got at least one pick in this range, but uh, what's your overall thoughts? So my first overarching thought is is Kyle Busch is just a no. <laughs> just <laughs> all together, just a no. I mean, he, I will say, I guess on a positive note, similar to, similar to Chris Bell, if anyone has shown a little bit more progression from the JGR team, Kyle Busch is right behind Chris Bell as far as, like, he's shown improvement at the road courses this year um but i mean i know some of it's been bad luck but it just doesn't feel like kyle bush is in the right state of mind right now to to be even thinking about a victory um i know last week or two weeks ago whatever it was i said like oh a victory can cure all but it just doesn't seem like he can he can escape any bad luck right now so uh that with all the pressure and all the madness that can ensue at a road course kyle bush is just completely just not even in my radar yeah. Not watching him come out and qualify first and be like first in practice uh, come Saturday. But, um, yeah, the first bet for me is is Chris Buescher. That is the only click I have to this point. Or as uh, I have my in my notes here, as Dale Jr. called him in the race this past week, Christopher Buescher. Um, <laughs> so at 25 to 1, this just seems like a glaring misprice. And if if you follow any source of any NASCAR um, touts, on Twitter, you've seen pretty much everybody's on this number. I, I mean, and sometimes that's scary when everybody jumps in, but sometimes that's also just shows you how valuable that number really is. Um, he opened at 30. He's down to 25 for most books. I think on DK is actually down to 18, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're talking about a guy who at road courses is um, sixth in or seventh in total speed this year. Um, he was first in total speed at Sonoma. Um, there's a fun uh twitter page out there i want to say it's called like road racing analytics or nascar i can't remember the name of it but they do like this cool chart where it's like a picture of the track and it just has like the numbers of the drivers on the track and it was like if it was an incident free race based totally on speed where would everybody actually finished and if you went back and looked at sonoma race chris busher would have won by like a lot um which is pretty interesting um so again i've talked about how the last three road courses have been really, it kind of paints a picture for us here. I don't understand why they have Chris Buescher 25 to one. I really don't get it. Um, we're talking about a guy who has finished 
um, so far this year at the road courses, 21st Dakota, but second, sixth, and 10th at the other three, you know, with an average finish of 9.75. I, I really just, I don't understand the 25 to one number. He finished, uh, I don't know where he actually ended up finishing last week at Richmond, but he was battling Harvick for the lead in that last stage. I mean, was a serious contender to win the race. I know that, I don't know how much you were able to catch since we were following the Willie Z, but a lot, he, he, he was burning his tires up trying to get past Harvick. And I think he probably did fall back a little bit because he burned it up so much, but showed some real speed last week. Um, I know it doesn't really correlate to the road courses, but if you pair what we've seen the last three with the speed we saw this this past this past week and then with Daytona on the horizon, another track that I think RFK should be very competitive at, uh, this is a team to really reckon with right now. And I think Chris Buescher is 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 definitely live at this 25 to 1 number. Um, and I'm excited. This is this is probably my favorite bet on the card right now. Like I said, it's my only click. Um, so yeah, Chris Buescher 25 to 1 yeah. is is the guy. And to your point, I think, uh, yeah, since Talladega, that was the first time that Busher ever finished at Busher outside of a road course has finished inside the top five in total speed. Um, and the next the next race that he had after Talladega, he finished or he was fifth in total speed at Dover. So they've been they've been proven to kind of carry the speed uh, sporadically throughout the season. And now it's maybe coming at a perfect time uh, at a track, obviously, that he should he should like quite a bit. Um, so, yeah, I'm in on the 25 to one, obviously. Uh, Briscoe, Bush, Hamlin do anything for you? I, I mean, Kyle Bush obviously is a cross-off, but uh, Briscoe seems like a guy maybe just you reserve for the stage win maybe or or something like that, and Hamlin is just a complete stay away. So actually, I'm going to surprise you a little bit here. Um, Denny Hamlin is actually a guy that I think, if we were to go with option A, Cindric and Dinger, or sorry, if we go option B, I mean, sorry, option B, if we go to Reddick and Busher, right. we, have, we have room for about another unit. And Denny Hamilton at 28 to 1 is actually kind of intriguing if we use that last unit on an outright. Now, I know I've been harping on how bad JGR has been. You know, Chris Chris Bell and, and Kyle Bush are kind of been the only ones that really show any improvement in total speed. But Hamlin as a whole, if you take his 31, 32 pit penalties, whatever it is this year that he has out of the out of the play, Denny Hamlin's your points later this year, like right. pretty easily. Um, Denny, that 11 team has been fast this year. Um, now I'm not going to show you any stats from this year cause it's not going to tell a good picture, right? But road course history, Denny is pretty damn good. Um, he's second in average finish at road courses since 2019, fourth in driver in all road courses. If you bring in just Watkins Glen, third in average finish over the last three races, fourth in drive rating. Uh, if you look at road courses last year in 2020, in 2021, he was third in total speed at the road courses. Um, and then if you look at just the last six races, he's second in driver rating. Yeah. For a, for a track that we're talking about is, you know, like, kind of like how you hinted at in the beginning, high speed, a little less technical than some of the ones we've been on. Could the the aerodynamic advantage come into play? If there's any week that I can see Toyota kind of figuring this out, yeah. it could be this week. And if there's one guy I want to bet on on that team right now, other than probably Chris Bell, it's, it's Denny Hamlin. Yeah. Um, to get a guy at 28 to one versus 16 to one, too, if, if if something surprises us, then he's kind of then he's the guy I want to be on. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, he, he's number one in total speed the last two weeks, so clearly trending. You obviously we've been all over Toyota the last couple weeks as well, um, in terms of just you know citing the speed that they've shown on ovals. I mean, um, and yeah, so if they can take advantage of this high horsepower Packers that we're going to bring to Watkins Glen, um, you know, yeah, Hamlin twenty eight to one is always going to draw a little bit of intrigue. Um, I mean, 
I don't know how much of a point there is if uh, to go kind of past 31, but there are some there's some intriguing names here. Alex Bowman at 30 to one, Logano at 30 to one. I know Pensy qualified really well last year, just going on the replays uh, that I watched. Kevin Harvick 30, Byron at 30, uh, McDowell at 33, and then the fun the fun name that everyone wants to uh, they pin it on. Everyone wants to bet him. Kimi Raikkonen 35 to one. I I will admit I don't think this is a very good number on Kimi Raikkonen based on what I've seen uh, throughout the kind of gambling space, but um, yeah, that's a big range. But if you, you know, if you have one or two names that you have any strong opinions on, uh, we'd love to hear them. Uh, from our perspective, I probably will not be any of these guys. Um, I think they're all really fun numbers, though. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell you not to bet Joey Logano at 30 to one or William Byron 30 to one. Like, it's it's the argument of, like you said, it's a it's a good team at a at a track that you know should show a lot of horsepower. Um, I do think, you know, people are probably screaming at me right now saying. How could you bet on Chris Buescher at 25, but not Michael McDowell at 33? You know, it, it's a fair point. I mean, <laughs> Michael McDowell has finished uh, third, eighth, and eighth at the last three red courses. Um, but the fact that he got that penalty a few weeks ago, his car got taken to R&D. Yeah. Kind of tells me they may have, you know, who, who knows? They may have found something. They may not have. I don't know. But that scares me a little bit more than it does for Buescher. Um Now, I don't love a lot of the qualifying odds this week. I'll be honest. I couldn't really find really any glaring values. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do have McDowell and Logano kind of circled as potential guys if we do kind of want to shoot from the hip. Yeah. Um, I, I don't like a lot of the guys towards the top um, just because their numbers are way, way too short. But uh-huh. McDowell is at 2,500. Joey Logano is at plus 2,000. Um, Joe Logano is fourth in average qualifying this year. McDowell is 10th in average qualifying this year. So those are the bigger values on the board. Um, I'm not completely convinced on those bets yet, so don't go do that yet. <laughs> but um, if if I'm going to bet something in this range at some sort of price, it would probably be qualifying odds. Yeah. Um, now, William Byron did show really good speed the last time we were on a road course. Um, the Indy road course, I believe he was second, if I'm not mistaken, in total speed. Uh, yeah, second total speed. So Byron did finally show some a glimpse of, of something last time we were at a red course. So I think he's he's kind of interesting. But again, even with that speed, he didn't have a great finish. He finished like thirty first. So yeah. he took the Blaney strategy and actually got didn't get away with it. Basically, I don't yeah. know what happened. He eventually got washed back in the field. I don't know if it was a bad pit stop or he got caught behind something. But um, but yeah, uh, I do want to I do want to kind of bring up one more thing. Um, what were your who was popping in your, in your qualifying model? I'm interested to know because I'm looking at a stat right now. Um, basically, the last – like, if you just go back in history at Watkins Glen, the winners at Watkins Glen over the last, like, five years. Larson won last year fin- uh, starting fourth. Elliott was on the pole and won. Uh, 2018, Elliott was uh, – he started third and won. Uh, Truex Jr., who won in 2017, started third. Denny Hamlin started the sixth. Logano started 16th, but then he goes sixth, fifth, fifth, third, third, first, fifth, seventh, first, fourth, fourth. I'm sorry. So you have a lot, a big string of guys starting um, kind of at the at the front few rows, like the front three rows have a crazy record here in terms of kind of finding your winner. Um, I don't know if you think there's any substance to that um, with the new stages that's uh, with the stage racing that's been implemented over the last few years. But just something interesting I saw just based on kind of the results over the last few years of, you know, if guys are qualifying well, they tend to um, have a really bad, good chance of winning. Yeah, and I think that's that's kind of just the overarching like road course theme. Yeah, road courses with stage racing is like track position is 
yeah. is is king. Yeah. Um, but I mean, just if you're curious, um, Tyler Reddick is first this year in qualifying. Chase Elliott is second. Briscoe is actually third. Logano is fourth, as I mentioned, and Suarez is actually fifth. So Logano, I guess, by your theory, if Logano qualifies well, that that thirty to one number is actually pretty live, and you get him at qualifying for twenty to one. So if you pair both of those, that's a pretty that's a pretty hefty week. We might have to think about that one. Yeah, um, if I go back and look at just Watkins Glen qualifying, I'm sorry, was that all road course qualifying? I'm guessing in, in your in your first model. Yeah, that was 2022 road course qualifying. Okay, yeah, continue. If I if I go back and look at just Watkins Glen qualifying, Denny is actually first, Larson second, Chase is third. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, then I think I know what I'm betting. <laughs> So I guess, all right, so that's a good, all right, so since you know what you're betting, I guess yeah. now that we've talked everything through, are you more inclined to do option A with Cindric Dinger and Busher or option B with Reddick, Busher, and Hamlin? I want Reddick, man. I think I'll, I do, too. I think I'll, I do, too. Or, or Chase. Like, I, I'm actually not not completely, um, what's it called, discounting Chase here at 5-1. to one. Like, I, I, I've i been telling you, I feel like at every weird course, like in our private conversations, like, when are we just going to bet Chase at, like, one of these inflated numbers? Because, like, he's going to bag one of these eventually, right? He's not going to go, like, what is it now, six or seven road course races without winning? Um, and it feels like he's just, like, he's there every time. You know what I mean? And, like, I, I get it with Reddick. Like, he's won the last two road courses. Um, he's driving, I mean, he, again, he's very much like Chase in this one-year sample size. Like, he just continually is there. Um, but, man, yeah, that's, it's a tough choice. But, yeah, I, I'm not discounting Chase one bit. Um, and then, you know, just with the intriguing numbers we have, like, 25 to one and, and, and above like Bush or Hamlin Logano pick two of those three pairing with a guy at the top. I think that's a, that's a pretty solid card this week, just based on kind of what I've heard. That's kind of where I lean to. I think, yeah. I think that's probably where I'm going to end up going, but I wanted to present those two to see kind of which of my cases was more convincing. Yeah. Um, but I do think the Reddick at the top, or like you said, Riker chase, but I think my lean is actually Reddick. Okay. Uh, Bush at 25. I know I just talked about Hamlin, but I, you actually kind of talked to me a little bit into Joey. Mm-hmm. Because if we do if we do a qualifying on at twenty to one on Joey and then that hits and we've got the outright at thirty, yeah. that's you might have convinced me on that one. But again, that just goes back to the whole theory of like, but then does Joey like does he stay out for stage one and then all of a sudden that bet's dead? You know, like it's the yeah. same it's the same centric conversation we just had. It just doesn't make sense for Joey because he's got two wins. Like he's he's good. Like he doesn't need he doesn't need playoff points. He wants to win and get the five, right? You would think he's in a position very much like Reddick and Chase. Very similar. You would think, but but it just it just feels like it feels like it's more of a Penske strategy overall than it is. Well, to be fair, it almost works. It almost works with Blaney last last time. You know, so I mean, thirty to one, you're not asking like a not asking a lot. Like I'd I'd almost rather take the punt on Logano at three times the number versus Cindric. You know, like I understand Cindric's got a better chance to win, but um, you're getting three times the number on Logano, who's not like he's not in bad road course historically. Well, hey, if we go back and look at Watkins Glen last year, yeah, um, or start on the on the front on the front rows because Lasky and Logano, right? Yep, correct. Joey qualified uh, second and then won the stage one, so wow. he's he, he stayed out. He didn't fit. Damn, all right, fucks my case. Something to think about as the week goes along. Maybe you know, I know, I know we've got the six and a half, which looks really good on Reddick, but maybe. Incentive to wait a little bit, you know, take the one less point or take the handful less points. Make sure they got a fast car. Because I think, to your point, man, like track position all year long has been so crucial in these road courses. And, you know, if you can get a guy like 
yeah, so what if the odds don't look pretty on paper? Like, if you can guarantee you have the fastest car on the field, that's typically, um, you know, been a <laughs> that's typically hit at the road courses. You know, it's been a lot more of a factor, I think, um, at the road courses this year, just just based on kind of what I've seen. So, um, yeah, stay tuned, I guess. Flag hunting audience <laughs> for, uh, for Chris's final betting card. Hopefully, I was able to help and not cloud everything up for him. But um, but yeah, as of now, we do have Chris Busher locked in at 25 to 1. Make sure you get that down because, like Chris said, um, the number is moving pretty quick. So, Busher 25 to 1 is locked in. We are still uh, in the weeds in terms of, you know, the Reddick versus Elliott decision, maybe adding, um, maybe foregoing those two for a Cindric Blaney, Blaney Dinger card. Uh, Hamlin Nagano, both in the mix, kind of in that 28 to 30 range. Um, so, this isn't still to be made, but the good news with, uh, with the NASCAR side of this podcast is we have plenty of time. Uh, and we will have some some concrete data points on on Saturday to uh, to draw from and maybe um, you know catch another winner here. So yeah, for Ian, Chris, this has been a fun episode. Hopefully we can uh, we can stack some wins here, get on another little hot streak uh, like we like we were able to get on early this summer. But uh, yeah, that was a fun discussion, man. I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, absolutely. It's always fun, and we're one week away from from Daytona, so the season finale. You know, I. I yeah. keep saying I keep saying all year how I I want chaos, uh, but I don't want chaos this week. <laughs> I want to save the chaos for next week because I think next week will be more fun if we still have only fifteen unique winners. Yeah. Um, Say, what's your opt- like as a fan? What are you hoping happens this week? Or what do you what do you what's like the worst case scenario for you as a fan? I guess is the better question. I guess worst case scenario is that we get a new winner. So I guess like if Dinger comes out and wins, right? Right. Now we've got 16 winners and Ryan Blaney is out. And he has to win next week. And he has to win. Yeah. yeah. That's probably worst case. Um, I mean, some people might see that as best case. Some people might think like, oh, that's. But I think if you just take a step back and look at it, like the guy that's currently second place in, in points in our point system doesn't make the playoffs. Yeah. And Trux, know, prob- that's your... probably going to do what? Trux is like fourth, too. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's been a crazy year. Um, didn't want to step in your toes there, but. No, no, I think that's that's pretty much probably worst case for me is is we get a unique winner. Now I say that with you know as we have Chris Buescher on the card, but um, <laughs> that's exception. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that yeah. Yeah. Well, even, so though, I say, even though I say it's worst case, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind obviously uh, cashing a winner and then ensuing even more chaos next week as you have guys like Blaney and and Truex and uh, Almirola and Bubba, guys who all need wins, really kind of duking it out. That is true. Um, should have, I shouldn't have closed my tab, but two. So if if we do get a 16, like if we do get our 16th winner, who would be in line for a must win? Like it would be, I guess it depends on who it is. Like if it's Amarola, like everybody can win and still get in, right? So Amarola actually isn't worst case because like he's so low on points where everyone, if you win, you can still pass him, right? That would be the, that'd be the case. Like if you um, because if you have zero wins and you win at Daytona, you automatically pass uh, Almendinger because he's not in the points race. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, yeah. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Because the next guy's in points unrelated to wins. So, like, Almirola, if you took wins out of the picture, Almirola would be 16th in points behind. Or, sorry. Uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. He'd be 15th in points behind Cindric. Right, because Kurt Kurt's really being hurt right now for the fact that he's concussed. So like his points is, are very low right now. So Kurt is really the one in the bubble because if somebody wins, oh yeah, he's kind of so, screwed. In a weird way, the Kurt injury kind of helped the drama of the entire season because it brings more guys in the mix for to potentially jump him. Um, 
Yeah, so it just gives you more outs in case, like, a Busher wins or an Almirola wins or something like that. This week, Almirola, I don't think, is winning. But, um, but yeah, certainly a lot to, to look forward to. Um, and, uh, yeah, I know Chris is super excited about Daytona, but hey, no better way to go into a week you're super excited for than to uh, come with some extra money in your bank account so or into your uh, into your uh, your account, your gambling account. So, either way, yeah, BMW Championship, bowling at the Glen. Let's – yeah, what a week. Let's catch a winner and go into East Lake and do a strong next week, buddy. Yeah, that's what a week next week. We got two like premier events next week. So uh if let's let's stack the cash for next week so we have plenty to spend because we'll probably need it. <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah, we're gonna need it, we're gonna need it in golf because because of the stagger start, like it's gonna be like we're gonna be paying NASCAR prices, like at best. So yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. That'll be that'll be something to talk through next time, but one week at a time. I'm, uh, I think we're both pretty uh, pretty confident what we got going on this week. Absolutely. All right, guys. So with that being said, we will uh, catch you guys next week.